Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. This season, we're digging into 1975, and this week, we are kicking off the actual gosh darn bracket with Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, and that's the only time I'll do it that way, I promise. I am your host for this episode and this season, Mike Gravano, but try as I might, I cannot talk about this movie or any other alone. But you would like to. You, I've recorded your some dream lost. Is to just talk about Barry <laughs> alone. I've recorded some lost episodes and have been told by uh, the governing board of podcasts, which is Mark Marin, Ira Glass, and Terry Gross, that it <laughs> is not good to listen to. So, with me is you heard his voice because he can't go thirty seconds without talking. Ryan, it's me, Ryan. Hello, and you've heard his jubilant laugh because he is just here to be a supportive guy, Greg. Hey, it's Greg. Man, this is the movie that makes 1975 seem like a long time ago. People dressed really different. More like 1775, <laughs> really am I right? Different. Yeah, I was like, damn, dude. This is like a few years before I was born, and it really shows. I like, I like that. It is, of course, not just a show where we talk about movies. It is a game show. These two gentlemen are vying, as they may, to become my best friend for the week. Every once in a while, you will hear their names as Dropboard decides who gets a point. It could be because they had a shining witticism, a a glowing point about the movie. Uh, Those are like the kind of things I get points for generally. Yes, and that, that's I just got that for for Greg. But or it the might other be types of things that I say. It Greg gets be. points for. Oh yeah, but Greg just rhymed it up, so <laughs> Ryan got a point for that. You know what? Dropboard is a fickle bitch and gives and takes points as they will. Gentlemen, Stanley Kubrick, where, where do we land with him as a director in general before we actually dive in? I, I think that he is the GOAT. I, I think that it's it's an easy, like, I would say Kurosawa and Hitchcock and uh, Michael Bay are like, those are up there. But mm. I would say that if you want a quick start into the history of film, I would say run through Kubrick's catalog and you're, you're going to have like a real good start. And kind of like a patron saint to this show, right? I mean, our first season, Eyes Wide Shut shocked really the entire world. Yeah. Uh, and coined the phrase most un- unpredictable night in Hollywood because <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut won a movie of the year. And like that's a movie that we thought like, oh, uh, this is. Well, I guess we'll do this movie. We None were of like, us expected we were, that, yeah. At least there's sex in it. Yeah. Right? We're like, okay, well, there's an orgy, so we'll watch it. And then, honestly, the orgy was only the second or third most impressive thing when we saw it. And uh, I mean, like, and it had been our, for most of us, our second or third time watching the movie. And I do think that that is important, mm. is that it's, what you're seeing is just a part of it. And yeah, that's, there's just, there's too much orgy to get it all that first time. So you got to watch again to really... Because right now I'm watching her boobies, but later on I want to watch his knees. Yeah, also, when know? we first saw it, there was a lot of the, like adding with computers, like adding in fake G strings and, and fake uh-huh. participants in the orgy, so you missed don't some of the good orgy parts. So we had to go back in and watch the European cut of that just to get an idea of what we were missing. And the version I watched had Tom Servo and Robot, <laughs> so that was a crazy experience. <laughs> just furiously robotic jerking off. Yeah, but yeah, I think that you know he's a he's a big name for us uh and for movies in general but like not and, like uh, a director where like i need a podcast you know like mm-hmm. yeah I'll, I'll fucking watch a bunch of movies but like without the podcast i don't even know if like he's like tarkovsky in that way where 
I, I need it, to go talk to right. Mike and Greg about this before I, you even know what you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I do feel that th- there's a, a cinematic gun to our heads. If, you, if you're just watching this movie or Kubrick for fun, I do think you need to be forced to think, which is not typically how people, we say the mics of the world is not why we go to movies. Normally, I'm like, no. I don't want to think about anything. And so if I'm watching this, I'm like, boo. But the minute you're like, you fucking think about this, you're like, oh, shit. There's and stuff Mike going is famous on. for his very quick, loud, short boos. It's just boo, boo, boo. and then he's just out. He gets it all in there. I, I, mean, want- I, I think the whole idea behind this show, right, is that you want to force me and Mike to actually pay attention to good movies. For so, the first time ever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been very effective at doing that. Because be- before the podcast, Ryan's old method was uh, strapping us down and holding our eyes open while putting on mirror for a How movie we haven't Greek watched yet, Ron. That? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and Mike Kubrick? Am I'm I- always fully greased up too, so it is so hard to pin me down. Hey, if you're friends with Ryan, you learn quickly. You gotta grease up or he's gonna get <laughs> you. <laughs> I watched uh I watched uh trailers from nineteen seventy five for this movie. Loser. Uh like promoting it. Like, hey, come see this movie. And they were all like, one of the greatest period pieces of all time. Uh, it takes you back and makes you root for a hero. And it was just all like the shit that you would see for like the English patient or is, whatever. Is that And rude? that's I, I think that's why this movie has to be rewatched mm-hmm. and talked about. And like that's you're not you're not gonna like that movie if like no, that's what you're your super down are. with like merchant ivory stuff. Yeah, in in his like catalog, I this is not one of his biggies. And no, I had never heard of it. Fact. Facts. Greg has never heard of this movie yeah. still to this day. Well, now I know about <laughs> it, but only from watching it three times. I swear to God, if we do trivia tonight and one of Mike's questions is, had Greg heard of this movie? <laughs> I am ready to answer that. But, but but why do you think that is? Why is this not up there with with Clockwork, with uh, 2001, with Eyes Wide Shut? It's four hours long. Yeah, I mean, my first thought is that it's boring, but have you seen 2001? Hello. Boring is kind we- of this guy's it- thing. Yeah, it's weirdly like it weirdly uses boredom as a tool in its tool belt. Like I've never seen boredom so effectively employed in a movie before. Like, like it purposely used in several different times to help. And oddly enough to help build up tension sometimes. And that's the thing <laughs> is that everybody thinks that he is British, right? Yeah, for sure. Or at least not American. He's it not. He is American. And it's uh, part of it is because he makes movies unlike uh, right. any other American director. Okay. He might uh, be American, but you th- know he talks in some sort of pretentious fucking accent. Yeah. Give yourself <laughs> a point, Mike. That's got to be true. That absolutely has to be true. Like the, the transatlantic accent of like, oh, I'm Stanley Kubrick. And I'm here <laughs> to direct a movie. Uh, but like, like a South Park character. <laughs> I'm not your buddy, Stanley. <laughs> Um, but no, like uh, in we almost watched a movie called Gene Dealman. No, but it turned out that it was like uh, a different year than seventy five because release dates are weird. And in Gene Dealman, it's a three hour movie about somebody who washes dishes. Oh, okay. I'm hard I thinking love about it. dishes. This sounds like my shit. And uh, that's just sort of how Europe rolls, right? And that's how Stanley Kubrick feels. Is like, oh, I. Uh, this the preview made this seem like this was a good old fashioned American thing, like Lawrence of Arabia or Braveheart or the, those epics that we liked. And the trailers lied. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not like that at all. That's, this is this weird semblance of American and European filmmaking. That's like cutting the Shining together and having the trailer be like just blood, 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 scare, scare, like it, like a slasher nineties flick. It's rude to. Jack people into- <laughs> doesn't know where his life is going but at the same time <laughs> but at the same time uh 
isn't the movie playing with the tension of an epic versus the center of that epic being a big dickhead that nobody would possibly like? Yeah, there's so much that's like epics rule, epics are stupid. Yeah, yeah so it's right. yeah, ready? I by, think that's by the point of epic. Putting that in the well. trailer in a way it kind of sets you up so you're in the right mindset because you should be tricked a little bit because right. it's, it should be about 20 I, minutes into this movie before you're like, wait right. a minute, fuck this guy. I know, but what I'm thinking about is the people who that live at like leisure world who in their free four hours drove across the street to the movie theater and they were like, oh, this, I, I bet this is good. And then they watch this and they're fucking pissed. They're, like, they're pissed at this movie. They're free four hours that come after their previous four hours and before their future f- free four hours. They live right. in Leisure World. Oh, they got yeah, I mean, it is called Leisure World. Uh, <laughs> we, but we, like, can we do overall real quick? Like, yeah, before I was going like to say, we're getting dangerously close to talking about this movie and that's not for the first 10 minutes of this podcast. That's for later. <laughs> So yes, over, overall, where are you feeling right now, knowing contractually that it's okay to say that can change throughout the course of this conversation, Greg? I think I really like it, to be quite honest. I think that most of the things the movie does that I don't like are Spike Lee level provocations mm. that I'm supposed that are things that are supposed to not sit with me very well. And then I'm supposed to figure out why I'm upset or why I'm bored or why I don't like this person. And so I think ultimately, when you put it all together, I think it's kind of a really, really good movie. Ryan. Uh, I just I like there's so many people who think that this is unkubrick like in its terribleness. Right. Like, like there's some people who fucking think like this really stands out more than Full Metal Jacket, which is not a good movie as like the thing that he made that doesn't work. And there's some people I not only did I read that this is not just Kubrick's best movie but i also read that uh step aside michael corleone and jake lamada uh this is better than raging bull and the godfather so really there's a wide range of opinions on this movie which means it's at least it's definitely worth watching then if people either say this is the worst movie by the best director or this is the best movie ever made it's uh, a lot like that movie from the 80s that uh the Garbage Pail Kids movie, right? Like, it's basically mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Controversial. Uh, a lot to sink your teeth into. Yeah. yeah. Where critics really love it, but then it doesn't get the commercial success you yeah. might expect. Critics. And the critics were right. Yeah. They were again, not shot again, out of their you. ears. Yeah. Thank you. Unfortunately, we didn't have podcasts back then to build it up. But I, having watched it have, so much, having watched it so many times this last week for like the first time in a long time. Yeah. Both of you uh, just stopped. You just hit play on repeat for some reason. You just did that to yeah. yourself. I literally watched it three times. Fucking and it's monsters! An hour movie, so that's a lot of days of watching just Barry Lyndon. Didn't sleep. But I think that does say something: is that it is rewatchable, even in that it's terrible, because it offers something that is different mm-hmm. than what, let's say, One Flew, which we're going right. to do later on in the season. Offered One, One Flew with Cuckoo's Nest is like a classic. Uh, he's a hero, but an anti-hero, and we root for him, but we don't. Like that's just that's just a movie ass movie. This is so much different. I yeah, that it, it, it does is demand ex- repeat. Be- a Universal viewing. Studios experience. Uh, I think repeat viewings. As somebody, I can already tell is the most down on it. But the further away I get from watching it, the more up I'm. So like by the end of this season, my opinion of Barry Lyndon might be completely different how it is now. <laughs> I think one of the reasons it's rewatchable is because you will find yourself even if you don't have a phone near you, just zoning out, and then you tune back in. You're like, what? Oh, okay. You're gonna miss a lot. Rewatch it and then you'll get more stuff in. Uh, 
we could talk about later if that's worth it, if maybe these slow shots don't need to be there and what their purpose is. But that is not what the intro is for, gentlemen. <laughs> this is not what it's for. It's for us just saying, hello, fans. How are we're you? As, we're as unruly as a couple Irishmen. But honestly, I do believe that like this is a weird intro. One, because Mike is hosting now and he's that's not a weird. great host. But two, because this is a really strange movie. It's hard to, it, <laughs> it's hard to just be like, this is good or this is bad. I think all three of us on different levels are like, this was amazing. This was stupid. And we have to figure out what levels those two things are. Yes. It's all about finding those dials. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I guess we'll learn if I'm a good fucking host or not. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. (laughs) And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! After years of researching Napoleon for his next movie, Stanley Kubrick's plan fell through and the movie Waterloo bombed financially. Not wanting his research about the time period to go to waste, Kubrick turned to William Makepeace Thackeray because that name rules, and Kubrick loved his novel Vanity Fair. But stymied again, someone was already making a miniseries. So Kubrick said, fuck it, I don't think you could do a movie based on Vanity Fair anyway. We're making a movie based on Makepeace's other novel, The Luck of Barry Lyndon. Shrouded in secrecy, Kubrick hid from everyone what his next film was. Even Marissa Berenson was told only that it was to be an 18th century costume piece, and she was instructed to keep out of the sun for months before production. <laughs> Following right. the life of Irish rest about Redmond Barry Berenson, as he stumble-fucks his way from being a pouty, barely gentleman to a wealthy piece of shit who gambles and cheats on his previously widowed wife. Taste buds, I ask you this. At about 17 hours in length, shot on location in castles across Europe and featuring scenes with hundreds of extras, Barry Lyndon has all of the makings and markings of a traditional period piece like Gone with the Wind and Lawrence of Arabia, the costumes, the battles, the epic scale. But Barry Lyndon ain't traditional, Holmes. How isn't it? And maybe more importantly, why isn't it? I think the most notable thing is, is because it's centered on a big piece of shit. Like, So not only is it centered on just one person, but the person is like not worthy of the attention really. and it it feels like he's at is like the movie itself is like one of these fancy drawing rooms or one of these huge fireplaces that he's in front of he's out of place in it mm-hmm. and you feel that down to the bones because of how out of place he feels against the epic backdrop i think there's a couple things there one uh, uh yeah I, I like it is about this piece of shit but i i think that more importantly i think that what he's saying i think that like uh, a Kubrickian thing about this is that they all were like Lawrence or Gandhi or uh, William Wallace. They actually were all fucking pieces of shit. Like 
this is just how history works is that it's written and controlled mm-hmm. by these terrible, terrible douchebags. And, you know, he wanted to do Napoleon and notoriously a good dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> everyone loves Napoleon because he always picks up the check. The Napoleon but, comp- complex is that's the best guy I know, right? That's what yeah. that means. <laughs> that's <laughs> this how the guy, first yeah. But like, no, I, I think that like uh, part of this, I think that part of all of Kubrick's movies about like anti-authoritarianism is uh, these guys just fall upwards. Yeah. And you know what? Instead of saying like, well, here's how Lawrence of Arabia didn't and how he like actually controlled all of this. He, look at this fucking moron. Like, look at this guy. Look at him just fall Who basically up has, the stairs. Like, everything he has, he owes to being violent. Being violent, like, <laughs> being in the right place at the right time. Being irrational. And being uh, knowing how to raise shit. or lower an eyebrow right. when a particular lady is across the table. Like, and that's it. Knowing that other people will follow the rules of decorum. So he, if he doesn't, they don't yeah. know what to do. <laughs> God damn, we're going to talk about Trump again. Uh, I, I'm trying so hard <laughs> to not, Mike. I'm trying so hard, but like, in a lot of ways, this is like uh, it, it's it's weird to watch this post Trump because this is Trump. This is come Trumpins, you know. Like we actually do get at the ending this thing where like fuck this guy, and that's <laughs> sure uh, that that's how this is better is because uh, or, or or different post Trump is right. that like he does drive away poor and legless. Well, I do think that we have to like keep in mind the way in which the seventies inform the 80s and the way the 80s are a reaction to the 70s and then how much of the 80s leads directly to our having trump so i don't think it's like totally out of line with this Mm -hmm. one because what we're seeing in the movie of 1975 is a land that reckons itself lawless allegianceless directionless right where the crowd is shown as on the verge of madness on the verge of breakdown on the verge of violence constantly and that's what i think kubrick sees in this time in european history as well which is like they're constantly going to war they're constantly like running into each other's countries arresting a bunch of their citizens making them go fight in their war turning out their prisons and then driving those populations into each other's countries to go like fight these battles and so i think that like it's not absurd to talk about Trump because the seventies are creating the atmosphere of the eighties. That's going to lead to all of this absolute madness. Do you think and with, the seventies are also this, like it's this decade of sort of like anti studio film, you know, and like we spent so long worshiping Trump mm. and half of us still do, but like we spent so long thinking like, that's how you're supposed to be as a dude. And I think this is one of the first examples of like, uh, actually, this is how dudes, a dude like that, really would be. Right. You we're, know, we're, like, it's not seeing the the lineization of it. We're seeing the fake moles and all. Right. Of this kind of dude. <laughs> that and... mole is fake. That's a star, sir. <laughs> that is a star. Um, because I, I think the the novel, the the luck of Barry Lyndon, is notable because it's it's like one of the first examples of this the protagonist not being a hero in in the written word what what stands out about the movie version is it because at this point we've seen barry linden like phantom thread is a barry linden type he's another rich shitty white guy who's kind of a monster but digging deep so i know that came out 30 years later but is this also the first time we've dug into a guy who has zero redeemable qualities 
Uh, but I mean, like, I do think that, like, in Phantom Thread, that he is sort of the antagonist. No one's confused about if Daniel Day Lewis in Phantom Thread is a good guy. Or Nobody's like, I gotta be like that. <laughs> that that's me, bro. Uh, but in Barry Lyndon, Kubrick says this is what the lead characters of movies like this actually are like. Mm-hmm. And yet, I still sort of want you to like him, but I sort of want you to like Kubrick plays both fields the entire time. You know what movie? Or you know what hard like stage production is hard not to think of after watch this movie is Hamilton because mm. he, that's like the same sort of story where somebody like kind of rode violence and a willingness to get into duels or like right. to have homies who would get into duels and kind of made himself out of nothing and then kind of turns into a shell and a shadow of himself in, in, in a similar way and Kubrick makes sure to fill the first half with oh uh, Lyndon or Redmond? What is his name? Redmond uh, Redmond Barry. He fights. he fights and he fucks. Like he's good at those things that you're yeah. supposed to be as a man, you know. And so for the first half of the movie, you do think that you're watching one of those typical epic movies, like where he, he has and flaws and that he makes can him be human. charming. Yeah. And so, like this is this is how it works. The narrator says it best, I think. Like the things that helped him make his fortune, the fact that he would just fire a gun at anybody who got in his way. Uh, that helped make his fortune, but then that is what undid him. Because right. it's like he would not mm-hmm. compromise with a small child. He had <laughs> so much time to make good with that little kid by just not beating the shit out of him every day. But unfortunately, he failed to do that. Because when you get to that point, Buffington? you think, like, there's no way that a small child will ever <laughs> grow up and be my undoing. I've never read a book or seen a movie. It's, when I was your like age, I was already 35. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so smart to have the movie start with him being like an 18-year-old punk who is throwing a glass in a captain's face because you're like, oh, this is a a character flaw he will arc and get over. And the movie's like, (laughs) nope, he learns nothing. Let's dig in. I mean, he throws the glass and he's like, I'm Barry Lyndon, now and forever. Uh, But I mean, Barry, Barry, any chance out of the room? (laughs) They do make the decision, I think, of not doing, not casting a different actor. Right. For younger Barry, you know, not doing anything for makeup. Like, it's just straight up Ryan O'Neill, young, uh, middle time, and old. How know? old is he supposed to be at first? Because they keep saying he's a child. I and think it's he's like, like 14 or 15. Really? That's what I think, too. But they're like, you're just a child, Barry. And, and he's like towering over everybody. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, I'm not. My, I'm name, my name is Ryan O'Neill. Well, I'm Barry tired of being it. a baby. I want to go out on my own. Does, 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 while trying to make fun of these big epics Do, does the subject matter ever get dwarfed by the presentation does he like lose lose itself in that big epic oh yeah but purposefully uh, like i think that barry linden's life is important but it's probably like fifth or sixth on stanley kubrick's like priority list i want to create these paintings yeah. i want every <laughs> frame to be magical i want to make everyone who decided to work on my movie want to quit immediately? Like <laughs> That's a good these boss. are the things that Kubrick is in charge of. The the idea that you would make the action on the screen so often boring, and then the shots themselves so breathtaking, so that you can literally in this movie several times get distracted by the shots, mm-hmm. so that you're not paying attention to what's going on in like the plot of the movie because you're like I drifted off just looking at this battlefield, or I just like stared at this castle and I was not listening to what the narrator said. That's a weird feel for a movie. His whole goal is to be like, oh, why did you go to plot? I was enjoying yeah. this 
beautiful frame. Uh, there's a story where uh, the guy that he wanted to be the uh, set designer uh, had uh, he designed the sets for Doctor Strange Love. And uh, he was like, I want you to come back. And the guy was like, absolutely not. You're a fucking maniac animal. I will never work for you again. He was like, no, I want you to come back for Barry Lyndon and I'm going to give you half your fee. And we were we negotiating. Like, uh, what the fuck? Absolutely not. And then two months go by and he was like, all right, I talked to the studio. We'll give you 100% of your fee. And then he's like, oh, you will? Okay, I'll do it. That That's trick, a trick. Yeah. That trick worked. And he was like, fuck yes. Oh, no. Wait. Now I have to work for Stanley Kubrick again. God That's a real Barry it. Lyndon move. When you talked to us about this, it sounded like he is not a yell and scream and throw stuff around. Instead, he's like a weird, like cold you're afraid to disappoint him at all. Like he won't like he won't even yell he's at dead. you, but he's dead. <laughs> daddy. <laughs> mean, mean daddy. Did on on top of being this movie being very long and very grand, does it also have major problems with pacing? I think it does because I, I think that um he wants to take a long time to show certain things. And what he ends up doing is the first like half of the movie goes at what it feels like almost a breakneck pace. And then the second half, he slams on the brakes so that, like, for instance, from the time the narrator tells you that his son is going to die, the kid, you don't see that kid in that tiny baby coffin for mm-hmm. 10 minutes. So you have 10 minutes knowing that kid's going to die and you wait for it to happen. Just when cheering, you know that he's just you know that he's going to get wait. You basically know he's going to get shot in the duel for 10 minutes <laughs> before it actually happens. What part of your body is the duel? The leg, I guess. Yeah, yeah you get shot in the duel. The shit. I uh, I don't know. Like it, it, it's a weirdly paced movie, but I I love the uh, the fast paced the fast pace of like this is based on a novel of the slow pace of Kubrick and them clashing together. And I didn't know what to think the entire time. I was just agog, agog, because it's so it's so bold. Like the dual scene with his with his stepson. I think bold is the perfect word. Like, what the fuck are you doing right now? I'm a stupid director. You come here. I need to talk to you. And then, but at the same time on like, it feels like consciously you're like, you're wasting my time. Why does this take so long? And then underneath that, you're still engrossed. So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's this, it's part of the like push and pull of this movie where it feels like things are taking too long. And yet you're kind of like eating it up at the same time. Absolutely. Like this is the, uh, like in 1975, we're in the era of the slam zoom. And you guys have probably seen this, if not yes. in 75 movies, but like in the Beastie Boys. They love this shit, dude. Yeah. Of just like zooms go very fast in and out. And Kubrick was like, I know what the trend is to do the slam zoom. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring it back to slow. And there's a shot of uh, Lady Linden and her baby, her you know, five-year-old son, her like, you know, three-month-year-old son. And it pulls out as slow as you possibly can. Yeah. And that's like the least boring parts of the movie of like, I I can't see the outside of the shot and that's driving me crazy. And he wants me to only look at this and that's driving me crazy. Like, right. and the way that's contrasted with a shot that comes right before it, which is him in a whorehouse with two. Right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to suck on boobs tonight. And the agonizing slow move in on that, which is like, and they both look like paintings. Yeah. Equally yes. expensive painting. Yeah. And, and like the, the, the contrast of those two shots and how much 
you manage to say with those shots that you don't have to then say with any language at all, right? Like, I mean, that contrast is so apparent. It's just like, uh, so everything's beautiful, right? Or is nothing beautiful? Is everything equally beautiful? Uh, and like, what do I out. care about? What do you care about? No, what do you care about? What the fuck do you care about? We could obviously keep talking about this for a long time. But instead, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, build a little mountain. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh, soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh, you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check him out. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, as we all know, was built in the early 1700s, around the time that Barry Lyndon takes place, which is why oh. we're doing this segment today. Was he up for one? Did he almost get ahead? He almost <laughs> got ahead. He. Such an important day in a guy's life. <laughs> Almost making Mount Rushmore? Yeah. Uh, He had all the best traits of those presidents, which is why he was almost up there. But they decided no. Uh, So in honor of that, we are building a Rushmore to the television of 1975, the four most iconic shows from this year. The year I believe television was invented. Don't check that. So we, everybody knows how Mount Rushmores are built. All right? So let's just fucking dive in. Greg, what do you got? Uh. 1975, all anybody cared about was a show about an old racist man and then his slightly less racist family. Uh, (laughs) All in the Family, starring Archie Bunker as himself uh, and Rob Reiner as a future famous person. This show, like, wore its being offensive on its sleeve. And even knowing that, going into it, you will still be very shocked at the, at the quality of jokes in this obviously people thought it in 75 that we were like pretty much post-racial mm-hmm. and so it was fun it would be fun to just go back and sort of poke fun at it uh i don't think we were i'll, I'll take that brave stand and now it feels uncomfortable to everybody it, it was also that norman lear for the first time uh did what we call tyler durden syndrome where Archie Bunker was supposed to be look at this fool. I think he was pointing out how not post-racial we were, but everybody just watched and went, no, that guy's awesome. Archie Bunker rules. Yeah. Oh, shit. What have I done? <laughs> you Barry Lyndon, son. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, I had right up on that who mountain. was like basically exactly like this guy. <laughs> it's oh. like it's a very realistic portrayal of old racist people. Isn't that what an uncle is for? <laughs> to be the bunker in your life. On the family red island up there. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, okay, so it's up there, but I would actually just say Norman Lear. Uh, Norman Lear is the person who introduced like messages to TV. Like It wasn't just like this placeholder for commercials, but mm. like we were actually going to uh, teach people how to be better. And 
in the top 10 of 1975, he had on the family Maud Sanford and son, the owner of the single best theme song of all time. One day at a time, they were all in the top 10 in 75. So, but then if you put just him on the mountain, you're going to take out like all the rest of the shows. Well, I can still do it, I can get points, but Greg might be fucked. So you, I didn't know that we would pursue it this way. You, you're <laughs> arguing that Norman Lear should just Norman be Lear there. should be the face. All right, I'm going to say because I like drama, put him on the maybe pile, and we'll see oh my what happens. Drama. Greg, so is it back to me then? It's back. To um, me. What's interesting about doing this show is that we can like zoom in on what was important in its time, and then I think by getting the perspective, figure out why that is. One of the 18 shows that Ryan just listed was Maud. And I think what we're going to see is that there is a very specific 1975 character that is like um, a woman who is a little bit past her prime and who is demanding that she have rights. And so not only does like we might see which is like baffling. Yeah. And we what we might see sometimes is young hippie women demanding rights. But what happens in this what happens in the 70s is like very much this like and on top of everything else, she's old. And there's so many, there's so many older women like villains from 1975. We're gonna get it with one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Nest. We also get it with uh, picnic at hanging rock. It's just Karens. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but like part of it is like how dare they like try to have any power in the world? This is why we can't have women with any power because they turn into Nurse Ratchet right away. Uh, and I think Maud is kind of hitting hinting at that same thing, which is like this character of this this loudmouth older lady but the other thing too is that like since they don't have any power then they find the tiniest thing possible and then freak out about it as yeah. if it is the biggest thing mm-hmm. possible like that's where the drama comes from do we think he was doing with Maud what he was trying to do with Archie like oh absolutely because like Maud is the first abortion episode in, in TV history but so I mean that's important. So like try to he, where Archie Bunker isn't often trying to be humanized. It's everybody else. It's trying to say look how cartoonish and awful Archie is. But Maude trying to humanize her, but she's also caring and awful. Yeah, I think at the same time he was he was like Archie Bunker. You kind of like him, and then also Maude, a fucking feminazi. You kind of like her. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, because like that's kind of like that's the kind of like the kids on all in the family are like annoying leftists, and right. so that's like also like hitting. That demographic, D- Doug D- Dumbhead. What does he call? <laughs> What's Rough Riders? Meathead? Meathead. Meathead. I still, I still think about it all the time when I'm putting on my socks and shoes. They have like a big argument about whether you should put on Archie and Meathead. Have a big argument about whether or not you should put on your socks, both of those first, or put on one sock and one shoe. And every time I'm putting them on, I'm like, oh man, I'm important controversy here. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> See, this <laughs> is hard to please everybody with this one. Greg sitcom. Yeah. People again. argue whether like Twitter and Instagram and all that is taking too much over time. But before you had to have fucking conversations like that. So maybe it's a good thing <laughs> that people are just staring at their phones. Uh, Mod is on the maybe pile for now. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, so I have a little bit of a cheat again, just like Norman Lear. Some um, other and TV it's, show it's creator. The type of people that like if I'm like, what am I? Uh 2021 20, Mad About Town, I want to punch Greg in the face. Mm. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna punch him in the face. But if in 1975 on TV, it's gonna go like this. Yeah. Jump, 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 jump. They were all <laughs> bionic, bro. Yeah. They were all fucking made of robots. They cost six million dollars and they were bionic. Uh, and here's the crazy thing about 1975. 
uh, the Bionic Woman was a more a <laughs> spinoff show that was more popular than the uh, Six Million Dollar Man. It's a She-Ra He-Man situation. And I, ju- I just sort of want to put them together on the mountain of just being like, oh, so wait, you recreated a person? Oh, we're going to watch that. We'll it's going to have 70 million viewers every week. <laughs> okay, that is like 99% because of how cool it is when it goes... That's you do slow motion. So yeah, that half half $6 million man, half bionic woman, that's that's right on that mountain. Fosh. All right. Greg. I'm going to go with another one of the Lear projects. The only one of these shows uh, that like cracked the top 10 on NBC, which is Sanford and Son, which has just the best theme song of all time. Uh, and honestly, like was very important for ushering in an, an era of black TV. Like we, I grew up in the, the early nineties and like the living singles, the Martin, these shows would not exist, which were like, for whatever reason, the backbone of my TV watching habits mm-hmm. um, in living color would not exist without Sanford and Son, a show that managed to is, I think now we look, we kind of are not sure about some of the, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> but it's like anything else, right? Like I remember we did the Patreon episode of the color purple. It's whenever like a movie in or show from back in the day really tries very hard to engage with black topics. They do equal parts really bad and really good and can have different levels of like importance without always batting a thousand. But as far as Steven Spielberg goes, like every time a black person walked into a room in the color purple to play the Sanford and Son theme song. That was a bit much. Yeah, yeah. that was a lot. Probably yeah. they shouldn't have done that. All right. Um, Maybe pile. We got a lot of leers going on here. Everybody's just leering. King Lear. Uh, and yeah, I, I love Norman Lear of like uh, all the family. I do think was like his sort of uh, who's the guy. It's like uh, you create an invention and then you're like, oh, that backfired. Like the guy who created the microphone. He's like, oh, Hitler used that to come to power. That yeah, the guy that made the machine gun. Uh, Norman Lear's creation of all in the family and how everybody was like, Archie Bunker rules. That guy is right and not Shit. funny. Just, <laughs> uh, that's what sort of led us to Sanford and Son and one day at a time of like, well, why don't we give black and Latino families their mm-hmm. own show as well? They can suck uh, too, is what Norman Lear is trying to say. But I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Nick Nolte. Uh, Nick Nolte was in a very popular miniseries called Rich Man Poor Man, and Nick Nolte was the hottest person on earth. And I do the one I, year. Like, part of this uh, Rushmore is to take us back to a place. And what takes you back to a place more than Nick Nolte being the hottest person on the planet? Because he's on like a TV miniseries. Yes. Yeah. ABC was like, hey. We're going to have a mini series, and people were like, I'm sorry. They weren't like, uh, go fuck yourself. They were like, oh, I, w- I will watch that. We're going to everyone listen. watch it. Well, I looking at uh, the thing I was very shocked to see is looking at like the top 10 of the Nielsen's ratings. Two of the top 10 shows were ABC's Monday night movie uh-huh. and ABC's Sunday night movie. <laughs> so, this obviously is a time where if like there's not much to choose from on TV, right? And so, if they're going to show like a movie or a long form thing, then you're like, I'll check it out. Something's got to be on in the background. Yeah, or yeah, what? The Play import- Parcheesi? Uh, again, Mom. Again with the Parcheese. Uh, I, I think, and Nick Nolte being the handsome guy. What we've talked about, and we'll talk all season, how just uggos were handsome in 1975. Uh-huh. And yes. how we all grew up too young, too oh, late God damn because it. of that. We, all three of us <laughs> should have been the stars of 1975 movies. That would have been awesome. So, 
Ryan. I'm putting Nick Nolte on there. Ryan, who is currently on the mountain first? Right now you have Archie Bunker, Bionic Person, sure. and Nick Nolte. That's a good mountain. All right, who is on the maybe good pile? Uh, the maybe pile is Norman Lear, Maud, and Sanford and Son. <laughs> okay, this is clear. It is uh, your Mount Rushmore of 1975 is... Nick Nolte, Bionic Persons, Archie Bunker, and Norman Lear. Ryan. Ryan. For that, for the, the, the way to rig the system in a very, very Barry Lyndon type of way, Ryan. <laughs> There's your 1975 <laughs> TV Mount Rushmore. We're going to take a quick break and we come back, dive right back. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Hey, Mike, I know that you're about to get to the next taste bud. And before you do that, uh, I saw what the next taste bud might be about. And I do want to appoint... Or I do want to point out what uh, Cassie, host of the superhero show show and a natural twenties, uh, said. I she asked what movie we're doing today, and I explained it. And uh, she said, "Oh, is this just the filmed version of that drill tweet?" And the drill tweet that is, "Can somebody help me out with my budget?" <laughs> and this movie is basically just that. <laughs> Cassie, so like where he's like listed five things, and one of them's thirty six hundred dollars on candles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can somebody please help me figure out my budget? Because I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> hey, Stanley, I think I know what's wrong. <laughs> Ryan, I'm glad you made space to talk about the Superhero Show Show's wonderful host, Cassie. Ryan. But you interrupted me before I could even begin speaking. And that feels rude. You're not the host anymore, Ryan. I kind of am. The film <laughs> and the filmmaker seem to be obsessed with art particularly the paintings of British masters from the time period. Does this turn the movie into a masterpiece or keep it from becoming one instead of just a cold recreation or recreation? I don't think it necessarily does either of those things. I think that there are times where it's certainly distracting. Some of the shots are distracting because they're so good. And some of them are just too, like I noticed a couple of the shots felt too crowded to me anytime someone was walking in a garden it felt like there was 150 people standing in that garden but i i don't i guess i never felt like it either elevated it to like a master film or took away from it it, it had some moments that were jaw-dropping and some that were distracting I, I i think that this will be the thing that enters it into the canon if that's a thing I don't know if that's something we'll that we make it a about. Thing. There's not really a canon of film yet, but I think the three of us can create one. Yeah, I mean, kind of movies of the year, I think, are sort yeah, of like... Yeah. It's sort of what we do. Poor man's canon. canon. And, uh, Poor man, rich, rich man's, man's canon. canon. Yeah. It's Nick Nolte all over the place. <laughs> um, but I do think that like the, the reason for coming back to this movie is to... This is not a movie to be on your phone. And no. I think that the reason is, is because if you're a little bit bored by the drama that happens, or if there's not enough drama... That part I get, you know, like, mm. I think that this would be the most boring movie of the year winner if it were to win movie of the year. Yeah, but I think that what is going on in every single shot 
is so masterfully crafted mm-hmm. that I think that it's very clear that Kubrick does not care. I think that what he's doing is plotting out a painting and paintings yeah. have no plots. And this will have as much characterization or plot as an actual painting does. But there, are like, we will never forget Why? frames. Like, the, I mean, the major one, the most famous one, the most iconic is uh, Barry slooped in his chair. Yes. When his uh, stepson comes to, because that literally to the, looks like a moving painting, like the that's orgy. the most painting yeah. ass shot. And they, they, I mean, like Barry Lyndon is passed out, so he's frozen. The other people in the scene are basically like, you know what? Why don't we just pause? Yeah. If, if it's gonna look this much like a painting, let's it's, just fucking pause. And uh, the the Lord Bullington pauses as well, and it's crazy, like. It's crazy what it looks like. And then it, they play with that because when he wraps his cane on the ground, Barry doesn't wake up. And so like he can't, it's even hard to bring any movement. He might yeah, I've gone painting. to museums and try to wrap on the wall and none of them move. Sad. Everywhere I, I go, go, I'm wrapping on every surface, Mike. That's just how I do it. He's a rap master. Wrap up. That's Greg's theme song. <laughs> Farts provided by Greg. It, yeah, it does seem like Kubrick is like, hey, remember, this is a visual medium. I can just give you great visuals. Is that enough, though? Like, w- what makes this stand out from just walking down the hallway of a library? Not a library. Well, a library for like, paintings. A museum. I guess I mean, because it, when it feels like stepping into these paintings, it feels like we're stepping into not so much the time period, which I don't think he actually aimed to recreate that much, but our sort of like collective imagining of the time period. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is that he he said... I want this to be exactly like how it was. And they were like, those are paintings. Those like (laughs) paintings are like the original Instagram. Like that's not how it was at all. And he was like, I want it like it was. And so then now he's creating this thing of what he thinks it was. Like he's basically create, he thinks that he's creating realism out of artifice. And Mm. isn't that art? You know, like it's like uh, this movie should be loved because of and despite Stanley Kubrick's intentions the entire time, but I think. Does he think it's art? Because there, there's also they, so there's what's going on visual, visually. But he could also have made it. I guess he's trying to do a bunch of things at once. But you could have made it about a hero, hero. And there's that narrator who's also kind of taking any majesty that's in there visually. The narrator's just going <laughs> like the narrator's <laughs> there to let you know none of this is glorious. All these people kind of suck. You know what I think that is in part is that the book is told from the perspective of Barry Lyndon and mm-hmm. definitely uses like um, unreliable narrator tricks to right. constantly remind you that this guy is a jackass. And I think that the you, since it's hard to for whatever reason, they didn't want Barry Lyndon narrating it. So the narrator's there to be like, this guy is a complete dipshit, by the way. You see right. that, don't you? Well, but I it, think it does have the, 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 the tricks of movies, which is, can he fuck? Can he fight? That's all we care about. Mm-hmm. Is he handsome? Does he look like Ryan O'Neal? Then that's all we care about. And I think that Ryan. the more you watch the movie, not even like the more times you watch the movie, but the longer that you get into the movie, you're like, no, my goodness, that is not all that's important. Uh, if you can fuck and fight and look like Ryan O'Neal, uh, you can still end up you know, legless in a mm-hmm. fucking tram where you don't even get to be it. in your own movie anymore. Where like they have to es- basically they escort you out of your film. <laughs> yeah. Like, Come on, bye, sir. Barry, you're done. About you're done anymore. here. And the narr- narrator is straight up says we don't have the who can tell we don't have the budget to He's like too yeah. follow yeah. him. And so I don't even know what happened. It's to him too after. poor to like, talk about this guy. Look, he got in that thing. 
And that that's all we have. Uh, Here's his rich ex-wife. She still has money. Remember her? Kubrick did say that in, in the novel, it was Barry the narrator, the narrator, and he wouldn't do that. He's like, well, you kind of need that to show what kind of asshole Barry is. But in the movie, you'll just see it. And that's why I'm not using him as the narrator. Like, it's just like, you should, he did say, you should watch this and realize he's a chump. The narrator was a aftermath thing. Like, the, the first thing really? they wanted to do is, like, they wanted to make it as silent as possible. And so they had cards, you know, like, there were oh, yeah. so many like, more. The, the I think last thing is three a card. Yeah. In the movie of, like, yeah. here's intro, where Barry does good. The, here's where yeah. Barry falls apart. And then epilogue. But uh, they filled the movie with cards, and that wasn't working. And then they had this narrator who came in. And I think that this is, I will say this, regardless of what you think about Barry Lyndon, this is the uh, like apex predator narrator of all time. The, the only reasons that you feel anything Why? for Barry are because of the narrator. Like, feel goodwill towards Barry. And the only reasons are like, He's always there with you to feel ill will. He yeah. is the Ron Howard. Yeah, yes. Of Fuck, this movie. Yes. He yeah. I don't think Ron Howard in Arrested Development would have happened without this. This is where they put droll in the dictionary because yes. of this guy. This it, it, what, the, the, the whole, only we, move they don't do is have the narrator come in and contradict him right yeah. after he says <laughs> But <something>. it's close. <laughs> it's like there are scenes where like uh Barry Lyndon was very much in debt. And then it cuts to Ryan O'Neill. He's like, I'll get us out of this debt. And then Eric's like, he did. He would not get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. have both my legs forever. <laughs> he turned out to be wrong. Or or like uh, we mentioned last segment where he lets you know the kid will die. Like the yeah. tension created Which, from sucking tension out of the movie. Like if you thought plot mattered, I'm the narrator. I'm letting you know it doesn't. Here's what's going to come up in a few minutes. Deal with it, viewers. Which was such a big deal. Like, uh, Based on my research, everyone had a huge problem with the fact that like the narrator would be point. like, uh, pretty soon Barry Lyndon will be a broke piece of shit and his son will die. But that's how novels work. Yeah, that's yeah. very time. much a novel. And so <laughs> that's sure. Stanley Kubrick saying, I'm trying to sort of like film a novel, right? Like the, at the start of every chapter, they were like, here's what happens, bitch. All right, go yeah. ahead and read. It does make me think maybe books I read as a kid are funnier. Because they uh-huh. do that same thing. Because it, it is that there are some snorts. Could you guys have used more of that? Do you think it needed to do more narrating or just jokes in general peppered onto this? Honestly, uh, I I don't hate narration as a tool. I don't think like it's it's anathema to the craft or anything like that. It doesn't bother me all that much. But I almost do believe that you could always just have the movie without it. And I think you could definitely just have this movie without it. I don't think the narrator ever says anything that all like really blows you away and you would never understand the movie. Otherwise the closest is when the narrator tells you how to interpret the movie, which is that the qualities that made Barry rich were the ones that like right. caused him to not prosper as a rich person. And that is an, o- a little bit of an overstep for like someone from like the middle of the movie to be like, and here's how you might interpret this. Part. Right. Whereas I sort of think that the narrator is another tool, much like the zoom out mm-hmm. where uh, I want to only show you this part of the characters or the room and then i'm going to zoom out or i'm going to tell you this like it's just another like uh tool of kubrick's to say like i read the book it was like 1200 pages i'm gonna i'm gonna actually give you just what i want you to have and the narrator actually does that and i think it's way more effective than i i also don't think that narration is an automatic oh you're a lazy nothing should be but like Blade Runner makes the movie worse because of narration. I don't well, think uh, if you bring someone in against their will yeah. to do it, and then you can't convince him because Harrison Ford notably thought well, if I do this poorly him. enough, they won't they won't use it. 
And they did use it. And it's so bad that <laughs> I would also right. love to hear Harrison Ford doing a good job at narration. Yeah. He seems specifically like or incapable. Of don't like, give him a script. Let him just riff on what's going on. Just him growling. There's a fucking uh, flying car. And then, I don't know, is that just a pyramid or a building? Tells a story about a magician coming to his house. Me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a celebrity, and he's going to punch me right in the face. It's not how the force works. <laughs> I don't, I don't know yeah, how the force works. None of this, I don't care what it all comes is. down to the fact that this is not Barry Lyndon's story. It is Stanley Kubrick's version of what he wants us to see. And that's why we get the paintings. That's why we get the narrative. Like, what... Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think this th- movie to Forrest Gump and yeah, that the, the uh, <laughs> just guy bumble Gump, fucking right? his way. It's yeah. somebody who's unlikable going through all the historical events, but like of we, his time, we couldn't wait to see what the next thing that Forrest Gump did. Mm-hmm. You know, and what this else is, is he the reverse invent? of like I would first of all I would prefer to not watch Barry Lyndon do anything else if I have to. If I have to watch Barry Lyndon do another thing, I would like this is Stanley Kubrick's story with a mm-hmm. fucking uh puppet yeah know? well yeah I, I think that the narration as a tool is an interesting way because it's a lot if if narration is used to explain the movie i think it is a bad narration if it's used as another like no, color I think it- then it, it be like in general i'm saying broad swath narration not this movie so because this narrator is not actually trying to explain the movie except the, the one moment you pointed out greg and then that makes me question is that what we're supposed to actually think if the whole time the narrator's there to kind of spoke the wheels well, he says the theme in the middle. Oh shit! What is we? What are we actually supposed to care about? I don't know, guys. It's hard to know with any of this movie when he's doing things that seem obvious or stupid. If part of the point is that he's kind of trying to be those are our guys. That's the kind of director we like. But you know, I mean, but it, it is though, right? Yeah, because it's like it, you have to lean into the weaknesses. I think uh, of mm. the medium, and I think that's what he's doing. He's he's saying like. Whether he intends to do this or not, because it sounds like he kind of intended not to, it feels like he is trying to create a reproduction of a fictive space that existed like throughout history and not a real space. And so if you're trying to recreate that fake novel space, then I think you have to use a lot of these fakish techniques to to do it, right? Mm -hmm. That to faithfully show this unreality, you have to depict it in an unreal way. Yeah. I, I think that this is essentially the naked gun version of <laughs> Braveheart or some other epic movie. Yeah. It's just that Kubrick doesn't do it in the, the way that the Zaz brothers do it. You know, like, but I do think that like ultimately this is his parody movie. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Man, it's doing it. I didn't want to start liking this movie more, but it's happening as we talk. I knew about you it. were going to, Mike. Yeah, There's no I way you're going to get the end of my teeth. This is a good movie. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break while I deal with this emotionally. And when we come back, Something a little different. Gentlemen, it is, of course, time for everybody's favorite segment. The rules are easy, but the game is oh so hard. I will ask a question. When I am done, and only when I am done asking the question, you will say your name to ring in. If you are right, you get a point. If you're wrong, your opponent gets a chance to steal that goes back and forth if you keep getting wrong until I am bored and then neither of you get the point. And I never get bored. I'm cool superpower. Bored often, actually. I'm a little bored right now. That's my secret. <laughs> I'm always bored. So let's on Instagram. <laughs> just scrolling through. Question the first. Who was originally offered the role of Barry? 
Greg. Ryan. Greg. Tom Cruise. No. I don't think he was. He was like five, right? He's like Yeah, you're pretty sure he's born in 1970. Okay. Ryan. Uh, everybody was given the option, but I, I believe Robert Redford was offered at first. Ryan. That, that is what we were looking for is Robert Redford. Uh, question the second. What two actors does Mike think Barry Lyndon looks like? Ryan. Ryan? Uh, Paul Rudd and me. You are not an actor. You're just a liar. And no. Greg. Greg? Mr. Perfect from the WWF. <laughs> um, and Tom Holland. No. We'll do this one more time, Ryan. Uh, Paul Rudd. That's what you thought you got right? <laughs> okay, so, sorry. Me and uh, Mr. Perfect from the WWF. <laughs> That's the combination. He looks, he looks a lot like that guy. Greg, I don't know who Mr. Perfect is. Uh, I mind. think you think he looks like Chris Farley and Chris Pratt. David Spade. Right. Okay, that would be a funny combination, and I do want to see that. But no, it is uh, the aforementioned Tom Cruise at certain angles and Ethan Hawke at certain angles. Okay, I can see that. So uh, why did production move from Ireland to England? Ryan. Ryan. Bomb threats, baby. They were like, hey, Kubrick, get out of this country or we will fucking kill you. Uh, Because they were filming in the north of Ireland. And and the whole crew was like, well, you're obviously going to stay here, right, Stanley? Because the way that you've treated us has been so terrible that you're not going to bow down to terrorists. And he was like, nope, we're out of here. I'm going home. Uh, And he sat at home for a while. There's a break. And so he had to think about that. It was uh, because they were showing uh, British soldiers in a good light in Ireland. And they were like, nope, (laughs) we will kill your ass. The Troubles. What a time. True or false? (laughs) No artificial lighting was used in this movie. Greg. Greg. True. No artificial light was used in this movie. Oops. Ryan, want to steal that? <laughs> uh, true. No artificial lighting was used in this movie. No, you're both wrong. Uh, in the candlelit scenes, no light was used, but they did use it often to make daylight happen. In that final duel, there is artificial lighting with diffusers all over the place to make it look like the kind of sunlight they wanted. Suckers! I do feel like a sucker. Imagine that. He's like, no, you can use lights during the day. You know what? Yeah. Right now, fine. That's Go fine. Whatever. Yeah, it's not. It's not brighter. That's what I like about Gosh. it. What fictional world has Robert Redford become president? Greg. Ryan. Greg. The Watchman universe. Greg. Yes, sir. Re. What December song did this movie make Mike think about? Ryan. Ryan. I have a banjo on my knee and a pot on my head. Is it time for giving birth? Yes, sirree, Ted. Greg. Greg, do you want to try? It's a December song you're saying? Yes. That I can't remember the name of the one I think it is. So I'm going to say Crane Wife Part 2. No, though. Good job at just naming a December song. I did too. Greg. You get one for that. It's the Rake song. From Hazards oh, of Love, yeah. it's the narrator is just a piece of shit, and then once his wife dies, he starts killing his kids. And I, I have feel, to say, that guy's worse. Than yeah, Barry he's Linden, a little. Barry Lyndon doesn't kill the kids, I guess. He kills, like, his enemies, but... What other Kubrick movie have we covered on Moody? A gimme. Ryan. Ryan. Eyes wide shut. 
Ryan. There you go. And buddy, he needed it. So you're welcome for what that. What the fuck? <laughs> Name Am I down by that much? Little sauce. I I don't I didn't think so, but what character is Mike certain does not actually get into heaven? Greg. Greg. Uh the little boy. Uh his kid. Greg. What's his name? Little shit Emperor Cloppy shoes. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He <laughs> fucked that kid up. He fucks his his two kids up in two different ways. One through neglect and one through attention. Good dad. That's a good dad. What other Kubrick movie does uh, does Barry Lyndon tie for Oscar wins? Ryan. Ryan. Two thousand one. No. Greg. Greg. The Shining. No. Ryan. Ryan. Clockwork Orange. No. Greg. Greg. Full Metal Jacket. Mike. I. Brian. Spartacus. Name one of the Oscars that this movie won. Ryan. Ryan? Production design. Mm, no. Greg. Greg? Adapted screenplay. No. Ryan. Ryan? Score or adapted score or original score. Can you adapt the score? Adapt it. I will. Uh, yeah, it's best musical score. It also won best art direction for set decorating, best costume design, and best That's cinematography. Production design. Oh, but I was, I was going off of what they said. Cinematography is the one I can't believe guess. nobody said. Does Eyes Wide Shut winning Moody in the past bode well for Barry Lyndon? Greg. Ryan. Greg? Yeah, I got it. Honestly, uh, that had at least something to do with the fact that it made it this far. And I don't think it's the only thing that did because its stock has risen a lot. But like that was basically Ryan. what it got its, its entry into the final eight. Ryan. Ryan? Absolutely not. Uh, the deck is stacked. 1975 is stacked, and I don't think Mike liked it that much. So, no, it does not bode well. A rare trivia question. Ryan. You both will get a point on it, <laughs> even though your answers were exactly the opposite. How many times has Mike seen the Decemberists live? Greg. Ryan. Greg? Zero times. Ryan. Ryan? Twice. You. It's just once, and it's very sad. <laughs> it's such a bummer. How many times has Greg seen the Decemberists live? How many times? Mike? Mike. One time. Oh, and it wasn't together, was it? I would be so sad if I forgot that we no, were together. No, I was with my wife. Can I just I point out a wife. true Decemberist fan? Uh, his two best friends don't know how many times he saw the Decemberist <laughs> and is now sad. That's what it is to be a Decemberist fan. <laughs> yeah, it really, really is. And your wife will go because she's like, I just can't hear about more songs about parapets. So if I go with you, I guess that means I saw the next when year. they were touring and did the, the full Hazards of Love oh, album. Cool. That was freaking awesome. Uh, I was certain the one song they wouldn't play was Mariner's Revenge song because it's 12 fucking minutes long. And they that was their encore and they came out with they a love, giant puppet yeah. whale. <laughs> That's their encore song and they go nuts on it. The one concert I went to is the song. What was the song where like their hacky or like their uh, fanny pack gets stuck in the big wheel of their bike that has a big wheel and a small wheel? It's, it's called, called a penny farthing. Ryan. Oh, there's two names for that? <laughs> 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 What's the one post nineteen sixty Kubrick film that Mike has never seen? Ryan. Ryan. Paths of Glory. Post nineteen sixties. Oh, post the entire decade. Po- anything in his oeuvre after the nineteen sixties? I think that is before. Uh, based on how you've been doing this show so far, I'm going to say Barry Lyndon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Greg. Greg, do you want to try to guess? Uh, I'm going to say Full Metal Jacket. No, when I joined Ryan, the army, what if it was Eyes Wide Shut? My friend, 
made me sit <laughs> nope. down and watch it with him. I'm sorry, say what is it again, again Mike? When, when I enlisted, my, my friend made me watch Full Metal Jacket with him. Uh, so I, I did Ryan. watch that. Ryan? Uh, I will then say 2001. No, I guess, Greg, you, you could guess again. Clockwork Orange. Nope, it's it's Lolita. I haven't seen Lolita. What's your favorite December oh, song? Yeah. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Johnny Appleseed was Ryan. my father as I put uh, two tin pans on my knees. It's so clear you've never actually heard this band. That's crazy. Rolled around America singing Hallelujah as I, I heard the banjo playing birds say that Ryan. we are all one just kept going that's crazy that's crazy too greg favorite well, i'm supposed to say my favorite yeah december song mariner's revenge Wait, is that true yeah that's my favorite december song. Right. that used to be the only song that i could sing from beginning to end and i just haven't done it in years so i'm not sure how all right what sitcom has basically the same emperor cloppy shoes scene right ryan have the endings Right. I watched it this morning, and it is step for step. It fucking happens. It's crazy. <laughs> cloppy, cloppy, clop. Uh, why would Mike be royalty in the time period of Barry Lyndon? Ryan. Ryan. His fucking gigantic shoes. Ryan. He just won't no, put on shoes to fit. That's, that's Greg. not it. It's not it. Greg. 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 Your attractive face mole. Greg. That is it. That If I said that, it would be a point for I know, because it would be mean when God you would say it. it. No, I, it's, know, it's just I mean, true. Look at them. It's, it's it's the fucking moles. Is happy ending severely underrated? Ryan. Ryan? Yes. Yes, it is. Ryan. Yes, yes it is. Name another severely underrated TV show. Ryan. Greg. Greg. Firefly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a genuine reaction. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Excellent. <laughs> what movie made Mike's early high school years annoying as hell? Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Labyrinth. <laughs> no. Greg. Greg. Flight of the Navigator. No, this movie came out in 2002. Ryan. R- Ryan. 2002, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> no. If this is related to other things we've been talking about through trivia. Greg. Greg. 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, Ryan. No. Ryan. Austin Powers. Which one? <laughs> Man of Mystery. No, that's gold the first one. It's it is it's the spy who shagged me. It's 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 gold member because fucking Fred Savage was in there and the whole joke was Mike Myers just saying moly 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 moly. That's oh, the God. joke. That's the joke. So a decade after so, anybody thought to make fun of me for it, everybody, everybody. So Greg got the point for that. Well, he answered it. Yeah. So I have a much worse pass than you do. Like that's much more terrifying for me why why i didn't get the point oh <laughs> whatever happened to fred savage ryan ryan he's a really successful tv director hell yeah he is including directing many episodes of happy endings hell yeah we love him that concludes trivia my favorite segment we ever do we're gonna take another break when we come back more talk about barry Lyndon. gentlemen aside from kubrick what controls barry Lyndon? is it a movie about fate Destiny, luck, being a total shithead and failing upwards. I think it's like the zeitgeist controls him. I think like he's like very much a a man of his times who is trying to 
ride a wave of like violence and adherence to personal honor, like to to great heights. And so I think he's like kind of like pushed along by just societal forces, despite because he's right. like kind of like non distinct, really, in a lot of ways. He's I like, mean, he is distinct in being a white male, but other than that, like he's just like. Oh, do you want me to kill that person? Cool. Do you want me to sit there in that chair for the recital? Cool. I'm Barry Lyndon. Is is it that... And I approve this message. He... All of society is playing by these same rules? Or is he... Because he doesn't actually have honor. Is is he representative? None of them do? And just he I mean, owns it more? The most fucked up thing about the movie is that like the only time that he has honor is when he... Yeah. Uh, his stepson shoots his... Like, misfires his gun. So he shoots his gun in the ground. And I don't know how much honor it is because he's probably thinking, so we're done then? So we're cool? Right. This will be it. But that's what leads to his ultimate, like, kicking out of the thing in that... So we're supposed to watch Barry Lyndon. We're supposed to be like, oh, do not act like this person. Except for when Barry Lyndon acts like the person that you should be. And that's when he ultimately gets... But isn't that also, like, fate was always going to lead him there? Like yeah, I mean the the second you see Lord Bullington, the little kid, you're like, this is the guy that's going to undo him. You know, basically the movie has come full circle at that point because you're seeing a child, which is we kind of saw Barry Lyndon start off as a child. He was a a man child, but you know he was supposed to be a kid, and so that's like you know you see this is his replacement. Basically, this is the guy that this is the new man uh, now that's going to like replace him. Um, but Weak. like I, I think also piddling cuck yeah well because he breaks that kid right like yeah. that kid is like kind of dour when he finds him but it's a, a lifetime of being subjected to the brutality mm-hmm. of barry linden that ultimately turns this kid into a weird like mama's boy who's not even liked by his mom right. but that's the, that's the, thing <laughs> that's too, the worst that, kind of mama's like, boy he he's like wa- buster <laughs> he wants a dad so bad right and like his dad gets killed in the first scene but he wants a dad if he had that dad or if he had that like male figure mm-hmm. somebody to look up to and he has colonel that guy that he like dies in his arms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, he he has a couple of father oh, figures throughout. His but, dying like, kiss is like, whoa, that's a kiss. With that, yeah, yeah. dude, smooch me good because I'm dying. Fucking bring I, it I, on. Th- yeah. I thought the movie was gonna go to a different direction post um, <laughs> after that kiss. Barry Lipton. Let's have it. But like the whole time, he is looking for some role model to either look towards or be. Mm. You know, like he is always saying Chevalier. I guess. You feel like Gambit as a French person. Uh, should I follow you, I guess? And no, they're all fucking terrible. Yeah, all the role models are cheats. And all he wants is that one, per- that one dad who's like an actual dad who was like, this you did good, this you did bad, blah, blah, blah. Right. He can't find it and he can't be it. And so that's what he keeps like falling down See, towards. And that's why this movie is so 1975. Because even though it's based on a novel that's so old, that's what's going on in 75. People right. don't know who the heroes are. People don't know where you should look to lead your life. And they're looking for something and it's driving them crazy because life has so much pressure and there's no guidance for like how to live such a pressure filled life. And it's so hard because Kubrick, we're like, all right, but Kubrick will tell us. Like Kubrick rules. So Kubrick will tell us who our heroes are. And does Kubrick all ever Kub- have answers though? Or, or no. doesn't he and just all ask Kubrick questions? does is say, oh, you, you have never known who your heroes yeah. are. And I will <laughs> never answer you. I will only keep you asking the entire time. Every single movie, every right. time that, like, every Kubrick movie is like, well, I think Hal might be the, oh, no, Hal is. Mm-hmm. That's even worse. Hal, Hal is terrible. <laughs> every single time we look to Kubrick, he's just like, 
Oh, there are no heroes, idiots. There are no heroes. It's it's interesting because uh, Barry Lyndon's looking for this role model the whole time. And then by the end, because we don't see his mom a lot in the beginning of the movie. But by the end, when she's fully in the castle, uh, he has had a role model. And she is just as goddamn awful as Barry has been his whole life. It kind of seems like she intimates that maybe he ought to kill his kid, yeah. like his stepson. Yes. That, like, that's and a it, big threat to him. She's trying and to yell wallpaper at his wife. Taking out the, the clothes in the washing machine. Maybe you should come on down and <laughs> do some stuff. Mm. But I, I do like I do think it's important because Barry Lyndon tried to get out of his Irish village as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna be my own man. Look, if I can't hey, fuck my cousin, I'm leaving, guys. Hey, please, I yeah. mean it. Barry Lyndon. If I don't get that ribbon, Barry Lyndon invented the incest. Not I tremble then, at the joy of getting your ribbon. But the second that like he has like sort of peaked, sort of like come to like the top of what he knows to do, who was the first call that he makes? Mommy, come here and sort of help me out for the rest of this shit. I don't know how to imprison my wife, mommy. <laughs> and in the novel, like the the wife was way more in prison. But all oh, we really? get here is the wife whose face just says in prison the entire time. And oh, who man. like has one line ever? Right, right after they get married. It's so weird for one of the actors to be told to do the graduate and the other actor not. She does yeah. the graduate face in the bus and he's just like smiling and <laughs> just like I got married. She might as well lean over and be like, in the carriage, she's like, uh, Barry, the audience doesn't know exactly how to feel about you right now. Would you like to show them? And then he just blows smoke right in her fucking face. Oh, as hard stop as he smoking. And he blows. It, oh, it's interesting when he conceives of that plan to like get a wife. Uh-huh. The narrator's like, basically, Barry realizes that he's just an ass now yeah. and so he's not going to try to find love he's going to try to find a fortune and then it like zooms in on her and he's like yeah. with that lady <laughs> yeah that's that narrator moment and then another one is <laughs> over the orgy he very calmly is like barry and lady linden grew Lips apart so- and then it's just like him <laughs> sucking on a tit <laughs> like- <Yeah. laughs> but that's what i'm talking about with this narrator is that you can almost feel his eye twitching when he says barry thought different things about marriage than you or i might and we know now you take your lady with you to the orgy. To the orgy. Yeah. Like, that's party. That you can't. She leave would enjoy your lady it. Behind. She's an 1800s hottie. She'd be fine. Man, uh, I, this movie does a really good job of being like, imagine being a horny lady in these times. Like how, what, how, like how you would feel just imprisoned. Like yeah. you want to have sex and nobody will have sex with you and you're not allowed to. I'm sorry, Lady Linda. Did you fucking look at that one dude across the poker table that one night? That's it. You're married. Have a baby. But it also shows her her wheelchair husband that they used to go gaming. Like they they lived up on the town. They had fun at least. Even though he seems like an old shitty white dude, he was at least more into her and doing things that she liked than Barry. Did he rot from syphilis? I don't think syphilis. I think he was gouty. I think yeah. He had they gout, said gout, so like oh, which is like the perfect like sort food. of disease or ailment of the time. It's like overconsumption and and too much like too like foods that are too rich and too much alcohol. Do do we think towards the end there's the plot of young Lord Buffington, uh, Bullington, Bullington, the Reverend, and then third guy who's now part of the team. He doesn't get an oh, introduction they, or a name. Anti Barry Avengers, and they're all in the same room plotting against him. Yeah, do, do that's they a big ca- scene. Care about Mrs. Linden, or do they just hate Barry? I I, I do like this question. Does Reverend Runt? Which is weird. <laughs> Great name. Because is it better than uh, Lieutenant Fakenham? Fakenham? Lieutenant Fakenham's a really good name. 
his wife name. his wife's name is honoraria because <laughs> <laughs> i have a real wife <laughs> uh but uh reverend runt is supposed to be in love not there to tutor right uh lord bullingham but actually in love with lady linden right that's the vibe i got that's what i thought it too but then he's so sassy yeah. And there is some queer coding. And I thought for a second he was going to get up on a table with platform shoes and dance to tequila. Yeah, dude. Like this, he, the Pee Wee Herman is, is strong in this, dude. Hardcore. I'm trying I had... to compose a letter. <laughs> Ryan, I say we let him go. Uh, but no, the anti-Barry Avengers was awesome. Like That's how you know that you've lived a awesome but soon-to-be-doomed life. If you can, uh, like, gel together a room yeah. of villains to plot against you. The three weakest I mean, chuds. Yeah, it's like, there's no better way to uh, bind people together than, like, the equal hatred of somebody. And he made <laughs> himself such a chud all through his life that, like, everywhere he went, he had enemies. And his own family. That, I mean, he gets, like, unseated by his own family because he's so awful. He couldn't not. I mean, right. like, going back again to the fact that, like, he was so calm during war, yet so warlike during recitals. You know, like, he just... <laughs> He refuses to just be a normal person. All you have to do is not beat yourself in public. Right. And like, I I do think that will lead to a room of enemies. And it sucks for me because I have done the same thing. I do have to say this movie might be a little racist against the Irish. (laughs) And I think I think that the, the, the novel probably definitely is. And the movie strives not to be. But just to see a guy who's so bellicose that he can't keep from like fighting his kid at his wife's recital. His, I don't know. Uh, almost, he's about almost, to fuck his cousin, but his cousin falls in love with the lieutenant, right? Uh-huh. In the very beginning. And the lieutenant stops himself short of saying like, oh, I don't want to deal with you because you're Irish. He doesn't say that. Yeah. He instead lets the movie say that. The whole movie is like, well, I'm Irish. And just watches him hop by his way through the entire yeah, it's it's almost yeah. up there with Seamus, the one Irish kid in Harry Potter, whose stuff just blows up whenever he's around. Uh-huh. <laughs> he just poops potatoes. <laughs> oh my! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Nobody knew that was coming, gentlemen. You don't have to say your name; just do it quickly. God damn it! It would be easy to see dueling as a product more of the age when the novel is written rather than 1975. But knowing that Rollerball and Death Race 2000 came out in 1975, should we make more of the blood sport at the center of this film? And gentlemen, I, I remind love, you. I mean, like, don't throw away your shot. It's uh, it's guns too. It's just like, well, I I'm much smarter than you. I'm much better than you in every way. But I guess we will let the weapons decide. And that seems as true then as does now in 1975 and 1775 and in 2001, 2021. And I think part of what he does an interesting uh, both Thackeray and Kubrick do a really good job of showing is that like the violence is between two people. But this weird framework, social framework that exists to like enforce the rules, which shift, right? Because mm-hmm. the duels in the beginning of the movie don't have the same rules as the duels at the end. Or even the fight where they form up the square in, in the army. Yeah, I think he's pointing at the weirdness of the men who are not at conflict in the actual thing, but like actually supply the means right. for two people to shoot at each other to just- end a dispute. This is just standard operating procedure. This yeah, like, right. oh, you're gonna you're gonna have a fist fight now. All right, everyone form the square. And like that's terrifying. And I think <laughs> again, going back to the thing that we were talking about before, I think that like everybody thinks that Kubrick is obsessed with violence, but he's not. He's obsessed with the people who commit violence. And who are like, themselves obsessed his, with it. His whole thing is not like, look how sexual the clockwork orange characters are with committee violence. It's like, look how fucking weird, like, doesn't that seem insane yeah. that they're doing this? 
That's always been his thing. And it's not Michael Bay. Let's pull out guns or John Woo. Let's pull out guns. It's like, I mean, like this is like, these are terribly shot war scenes as far as war scenes go. And it's because this is just, uh, he's not trying to make war look cool. Yeah. We talked before about how he wanted to make the, an actual movie about Napoleon, but couldn't. So how does the, this movie being a Kubrick film about a nobody starring Ryan O'Neill differ from what we can only imagine Napoleon could have been? Well, like that, like for instance, like the big, one of the big fights he's in is they say is a rear guard action. Like he's in minor parts of the struggle and he's not in like the most glorious, most historical moments. And that is so much more the face of war, you know, right. like that, that you will probably be someone on the fringes of it, if anything, and you won't see the glory of it. Mm-hmm. You'll just see like the butchery and the wet work of it. Yeah. But again, Napoleon is in a million paintings and Berlin and never will be in one. Right. And that is what is like the actual tragedy is like, he's just, he's lost to history. He's just a fucking dude. He's well, the tragedy for Barry, dude. not for us. Right. It's fine. No, not we forget for us. dudes. Like no, we are stoked that that guy has not remembered. <laughs> We're going to be talking a lot about portrayals of women in the LGBTQ community throughout the season. As a product of two deeply problematic times, how does this movie do in portraying the non-cis-het white male demo? It's interesting that we're starting with this movie, I think, because uh, there's like maybe one or two movies at this time that aren't constantly cringe-inducing in like their depiction of women. Uh, it's this and maybe Picnic at Hanging Rock. And the movie seems to go out of its way to show that like, except for the occasional woman, they're just like almost totally ignored. Mm-hmm. How many lines does his wife have? I mean, it, next week is dog day afternoon. So we should revisit this. But uh, in this movie, Barry Lyndon's like, I'm part of a painting and I hate it. And it feels like his wife is like, I'm part of a painting and I'm just part of a painting. <laughs> what know, el- like, I mean, what else does she have? Right. Like, right. like the- she only sits in certain ways that would be perfectly structured for a painting. Mm-hmm. That's the way that she, that's the only reason she exists. And she's like been ma- Barry Lyndon is just her worst husband ever. Yeah. But like the other one was also awful and really and wanted her another one. and wanted yeah. her to be ornament. Right. Like, I mean, that she under like, as you said, she understands that that's supposed to be her job, but she's obviously so like stricken by it. Did we talk about the uh, when she like has to write that check to Barry Lyndon in the future and she stops and she thinks is she actually in love with him. I think honestly, I think she's she's reflecting on the totality of her experience with him and having that sort of like bittersweet feeling where even when things have been so fucked, there was a moment where she loved him. And regardless of how she feels about him now, that moment like exists in time like a painting that she can go back and look at. And it does make her sad. She's melancholy because there was a moment where he was the most beautiful thing she had ever seen. And she wanted him so much when he acted like a painting, when it felt like a painting, the only way to be happy is to be in that painting. Just pageant of the masters your way through life. And you'll be, (laughs) yes. Did Ryan O'Neill turn out to be bad casting? No, Ryan O'Neill turned out, I think to be perfect casting because you're like, you're, 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 your instincts, tell you to hate this guy way before the movie really clues you into the fact that you shouldn't like him like mm. his face right away you're like i want to punch this dude his uh i thought that like i thought that the the one thing that this movie was known for was the fact that ryan o'neill got cast because they, it was forced upon them by the studio and now now you have ryan o'neill but he is the perfect barry linden this is the exact barry linden that we need 
I cannot believe how perfect Cassian was. You, you know that show Baskets? The whole thing, the whole thing of the show Baskets is that he is a clown, but in it's like he's an unsuccessful clown because in real life he's actually a clown. Mm-hmm. He like the, his his whole life is a joke. That's the casting for this. He already is Barry Lyndon, and so they just <laughs> plug him into the movie, and you already know how to feel about him. Honestly, like I don't know if this is an insult to Ryan O'Neill, but like he is the Keanu Reeves at that time. Like <laughs> put his face in there and just have him be like, what? Like I'm sorry, Ryan. What is happening right now? And it does work. I doth demand satisfaction. <laughs> do we think Kevin Costner learned how to do an accent from Ryan O'Neill when making Robin Hood Prince of Thieves? It's there's there's probably three or four times where Ryan O'Neill is like rolls his R's. <laughs> like in an Irish way. It's bad. It's not good. It's so weird. It's like he'll remember that he's supposed to be Irish. There's a part where he is being the spy. And you can, the line is about how he's Irish. And so it suddenly the accent like rolls out yeah, of him. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, I haven't heard this I in an hour to, and a half. I have to tell you the truth about something. But it's like an Irish Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, <laughs> ah. I can't let this happen to someone who's a countryman and someone who I really respect standing across the table from him honestly, for man, about a minute. If you can't get into Barry Lyndon because Ryan O'Neill's accent, and Ryan O'Neill is like the 10th most important part about Barry Lyndon, then like that's... You're already coming in like hot, you know, like you don't want to like this movie. Does it ever feel like rich people do it fucking wrong? Don't you agree with Holly Golightly that if we had their money, we'd be richer than they are? Yeah, why do people suck at being rich so much? I swear I could do it. No, I swear I could I do was it. Rich, if I, I had fifteen hundred a year, I swear I could do it, you guys. I swear I could. I'd be so oh, good at it. To imagine I wouldn't that much get money. melancholy, I wouldn't freak out. I promise you. We got to talk about George. I think his name is the accountant who just like looks at uh, Barry Lyndon going over the bills and he just sits there and like, oh my God, what did you do? The guy who basically was like Toby from the office. Yes. <laughs> you have to stop buying paintings, my man. If you like just if you cut down on one painting a week, I feel like we can get you through this. <laughs> Michael, week. did you buy another whole room of paintings? Uh, it no. was a small room. It was a small room. <laughs> Nobody likes you. <laughs> what black shapes would you put on your face if you lived during this time? Uh, purple square. I would I, very I would... clearly have like the, you know, the 20 sided die outline on my face. Ryan. Ryan, did you say the black shape you would put on is a purple square? Uh, yeah, it would be purple. I just, I, I want to look it's better a, than the black square to be. It's a weird, weird thing. I would have also accepted uh, Star Child from Kiss. Is Barry Lyndon an early example of making up a new kind of guy and getting mad at that guy? <laughs> I just I I don't. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Part of the mastery of this movie is that I don't think Kubrick was ever mad at him or ever rooted for him. You know, like through his entire life of watching movies, I think that he was always like, "Ah, that guy is this," mm. and then made a movie where it pointed out. That guy has always been this. Yeah. And that's why I love this movie. It does seem, though, like like he's like, hey, imagine this guy is just always fucking a jerk about everything. Like, okay, <laughs> cool. Like, okay, now imagine that for four hours. Here we go. He never learns. Imagine <laughs> it. It's like, yeah, this guy does suck. You made him so that he sucks ass. You're right. You did a good job. But when the narrator is saying, like, uh, I don't, I don't, I can't afford to go follow him after he loses <laughs> his leg. I think that's because Kubrick went and chopped off all of his other shit. Like, I do think that Kubrick is not, well, when it comes down to it, Kubrick is not a fan. You don't get to die in this movie, son. Like, you're going to die off screen in your own fucking movie. <laughs> well, Ryan. is that, do we think, because the studio accountant said to Kubrick what Barry's accountant said to him? 
no more. You have to stop. You're in yeah, the Yeah, he's hole. like, I have to go film on the continent now. And they're like, no, stop. Last Just end the movie. Question. Put an epilogue in there. Is Barry Lyndon technically a war movie? And if so, how big of a role does war play, both to Barry and to our pal Stan? I think this is an important part. I, th- I do think that people think that Kubrick is obsessed with violence. And I think that he's actually obsessed with the men who commit violence. Mm-hmm. And I do think that like that you can see that in this movie because the war scenes are the most boring. In a movie that is straight up boring, the war scenes are the most boring where people just march and they get shot or they don't. And that's fine. And I do think that like he is not trying to make violence seem cool. Like he has been accused of with Clockwork Orange or Shining, but like instead, who the fuck would make this violence happen? I mean, why would you do this? We're obviously it's so weird that that's like a, a, a an idea that he is obsessed with. The culture is obsessed right. with violence. All these paintings are, are are based on this. This is a time where, as Tolstoy says, people rose up on mass and went and butchered and stole from their neighbors. Like obviously, violence Cut. is at the very heart of like everything going on. So. That's, I mean, you know, if you want to depict this time, you can't divorce it from violence. Right. There's like a, a sort of dishonesty right. to not depicting, to not foregrounding violence. And it's like Littlefinger says in Game of Thrones, you know, chaos is a ladder. So this is about how people use war to ascend mm-hmm. from basically nothing to. And part of it is just like, oh, did you survive? Yeah. Right. Did you get through? Because what we're doing is we're turning out everybody we have that we don't like and we're having them shoot at each other. And then there's a lot of stuff left over for everybody else. This is part of the like, uh, I, this is part of the worst part of the movie is that uh, he is good at war, you know, uh-huh. which like he's brave. He's yeah. not, you know, like I, I read those master and commander books and then the, in the, the Jack Aubrey sailing books and his, the whole thing everybody's afraid of at that time, which is the same time as this is being shy. But not like not wanting to talk to people, but being afraid to defend your honor, being afraid to get in someone's face if they say something you don't like. And it's like being that type of coward is the worst thing you could ever do at that time. <laughs> hey, I'll just want to be my, bros my, in downtown Huntington Beach. <laughs> <laughs> my first thought is like, oh, no, Kubrick. No, we don't. That's not the message that you typically <laughs> tell us. But I do think that, that that the first half of the movie is there. So we can get to the last half mm-hmm. of like uh, this fucking dude that you are all about because he was brave in war is actually the most cowardly person right. you have ever met before. Yeah, this movie is totally two hours just getting you in place for its last hour. Yeah, and then just fucking whipping him in the back with that fucking cane that he would beat children with. And that's why I think the pacing is so weird because at the beginning of it, it's just a race to get you so that you can really slow down right at the end. Baylinden was a good guy, but a bad guy, but uh, it was fine, but he wasn't. That is all the time we have for questions. We are going to take a com- Quick break, and when we come back, it's award season, baby. Gentlemen, there is only one last chance for pie and for getting points. Is this a Monster Squad reference? That is a Monster Squad reference. (laughs) Right. Because that's not Wolfman's Got Nards. That is deep cut, my friend. Yeah, that that really shows that you have seen that movie. (laughs) Uh, So... It is award season. This, as we talked about, Barry Lyndon did get four Oscars, but we're saying, was that enough? Who oh, knows? by the way, motherfuckers, did you guys hear that uh, we have eight 75 movies in, or we have eight 75 movies in Lee E, right? Four yes. of them were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Oh, do you guys Damn. feel bad about that? 
no, crazy. because it used to be different. Yeah, I they really used, used to, they used to like be like, oh, this is a good movie. When it was more like an insiders, like the, the industry talking to itself and just letting us know what the results were, rather than like a complete like effort to advertise and everything. Death Race two thousand not nominated. Bullshit. Well, that was politics. Yeah. <laughs> Character you wish were the protagonist, Greg. Uh, this is a movie where you could almost just throw a dart at the screen <laughs> and find someone you'd rather. I mean, honestly, I would rather see Nora Brady. I'd rather see the guy who tells him how to make the other soldier so angry. Like, say this about his wife. Yes. What's that guy's deal? Why doesn't he fight for himself? He clearly knows it's going to set people off, but then he doesn't make the comments himself. I could say Captain Potsdorf, but who I what I will say is his cousin, Nora Brady. Uh, Nora Brady is ahead of her time in that she's a lady looking to get it in. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it is so fucking hard for her to get any guy to just have sex with her. And it's like her full-time job. She's not looking not for just her. sex, but like sex with no links. Like, yeah. Right. Could you just like let's touch each other's body parts? And then also, can you let me marry the lieutenant that I want to marry? <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's not looking for a husband. She's not looking for a fortune. She's looking for a lay. And I just like connected to her so deeply based only on that. Uh, and I just wanted to know, like, what was her life like? What's it like after she marries this sauntering, Dickhead. simpering <laughs> Quinn character? Oh, like, what man. happens next? I dare you to be worse than Barry Lyndon. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I found it. Nora, you have found it. Uh, Although, man, could that guy dance? Man, <laughs> could that guy step and get? Honestly, dude, like, I hated that dude, but he could really cut a rug. The line of, I have buried my scarf. And I will be very disappointed yeah. if you don't yeah. find it. I'm still horned from that. And he just... I watched this movie with my wife, and she's looking over at me. She's like, you love this, don't you? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? As <laughs> you're just like, pushing a, a history book it. from yeah. high school down on your crotch. You have three seconds to grab a scarf and get upstairs. <laughs> and he refuses. God, what a puss. Until there's another man who's yeah. interested in her. Right. He can't find the fucking courage That's when it's thing. just him and trying to get with his cousin. That's no. <laughs> why they didn't recast Barry Lyndon like they did Lord Bullington is because he never ages. He's right. always that fucking piece, yeah. piece of shit person. All right, so we got Nora Brady Ryan. Who do you think the protagonist? Just feel up your cousin. Your, your yes, dude. Just do it, man. She's begging for it. Just She's do it. Call it, dude. I just Have said you never been to youporn.com. <laughs> it's 1775. Touch your cousin. That's all I'm saying. Like, if it's 1775, she's probably like the only eligible person around. Uh, she would not have married you, but you could have touched her. You know what? All right. I'm going to move on to my. <laughs> Mine is the Chevalier. That guy yeah, lost an eye, has black patches all over his face. Uh, nobody knows what they mean or why. I think that that guy deserves his own. I'm going to say 10 episode series on Hulu. I like that he is so subtle at cheating that you can't figure out how he's doing it, but then so like over the top with his cheating that it's just like, okay, dude, I admit I don't know how you cheated me, but you clearly cheated me. Let's fight to the death. (laughs) It's when you look like that, people are going to assume you're cheating them somewhere. Honestly, man, do you have a pirate patch on? Yeah, you're a cheater. You cheated me at some point, right? I, I think he goes too hard. I think it's the. I think it's that he won't let the guy win a single hand. Yeah. So finally, the guy's like, "Fuck, you're cheating!" Obviously, let's fight to the death. Greg, should we tell people now that Mike is going to wear a pirate patch for the entire 1975 series, and it's intimidating. It I fucking fucks me up. Consider myself to be a bit of a chevalier. He and also I, wears a very little one. I didn't. I, yeah. I never realized there are so many different sizes of eye patches, but his is like would barely cover the socket. So like, there's always the hope that maybe. 
You know, you're going to get a little show. He's going to bend over maybe and it purses no. a little bit and you get to see in there. Uh, the fact that he was learn. leaning towards you and he was winking at you, but we couldn't see anything. So he was just leaning in for no reason. That's Come when on, you learn he has two eyes that totally work. He's a faker, right. which is why I agree he should be the Most pirates that wore eye patches weren't actually missing an eye. It's for Not distance or something? <laughs> white, the white male privilege award or the moody as we like to call it here. <laughs> Ryan, what's yours? Mark. I'll take that. Uh, okay. So, uh, Barry Lyndon is a goddamn con man. And he was sort of always a con man, but he mostly learned this from Chevalier. But, like, it is sort of his jam. Mm-hmm. He's into it. Uh, of just becoming, like, a quiet, silent Karen assassin. But the most he ever does it is when he's standing outside of the carriage. He already knows. That he's going to get away with everything. But he quietly says, all of Europe will hear about this. And then just gets <laughs> into the carriage. That's the fucking whitest, manest privilege that I've ever heard in my life. And what is he saying that about? He's saying that about like the fact that he he's about to be abducted, basically. Because the Austrian government's going to throw his boss out of the country. And they that's think that's right. who they're are abducting there. But he's... Just real, a, a real quick, like, all of everyone will hear about this. <laughs> what is the meaning of this? Where is your manager? That is what he is saying. <laughs> I have not been accustomed to be handled thus. <laughs> Greg. What's For me, it's uh, King George is meeting all his people, right? And uh, he gets introduced to Barry and they're like, Barry raised a regiment for you. And the king is like, very good. Raise another and send it over there. <laughs> Dude, this this and private you know what? this private you citizen. You go to. <laughs> yeah, 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 you go to. Dude, you just find out this guy raised an army for you. Don't just be like, yes, and raise another and go with them too and never come back. Right. I hate you. Like, what the shit, dude? There's been a lot of shitty white males throughout history. I'd argue 99.999% of them, but King George might really take that cake. Yeah, we'll be back. <laughs> is, this, is this the one, right? This is the yeah, one from Hamilton. The same guy. Yeah, Who, same, by the way, same is, guy. It's, Historically, I don't think he had an English accent. They say about King George III that he could barely speak English because he's German. Because they all like they're always like trading. They're like who gets to be the right. king. And, like now there'll be a Spanish guy who's the king of Portugal. And so he was like just this German ass dude. So I also heard he was like ham and cheese, and that he was in bread, <laughs> like a sandwich. <laughs> like he was a sandwich. Yeah. That made us cringe. Speaking of that, Greg. Okay, so there's like there, there's like a big candidate for this, and, and we should probably talk about it. Uh, but I was watching the movie again a third time today, and there's a part where he's there's a guy playing cards, and he's like a prince or something, and he's got two girlfriends. Two girlfriends is a big thing in this movie, Hell and yeah. he is bidening on one of these ladies' fingers like crazy. Like our our dear president Joe Biden, when he bit his wife Jill's finger. There's this guy playing cards who is just absolutely like, just like nibbling on the tips of the fingers of one of his two dates. And I got like, it's one of these very long Barry Lyndon style scenes. And I got increasingly skeeved out until <laughs> I was like absolutely freaking out every time he put just the very tip of her finger, like right against just his tongue, not even in his mouth, but kind of just like his tongue, like sort of touching the finger. No. Yeah, drop, <laughs> drop pad agrees. Ryan? 
I uh, I'm gonna take a stand right now and say that this is gonna be the least cringiest yeah. movie yeah. that we watched for this entire. There's season. gonna be some movies that are just cringe. 1975 yeah. is going to be one of the cringiest years. No, the, the single cringiest year that we've ever done. And I do feel like that Barry Lyndon is an anti-cringe movie. Like it knows what cringe is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the culture. It's like it's basically saying this culture is cringe. Right. right. Like yeah. everything that these people are doing all the time. That helps <laughs> See you get all away these with people it. making the movies. Like uh, it's gross. So what I'm gonna do. I guess is I'm gonna say, uh, whipping his 17 or 25 year old son uh, at the point where he says, "Barry Lyndon, if you touch yeah. me again, I will fucking murder you." The That's a time. bad read. Yeah. That's a really bad read. They should have taken that one again. And you know what? If Lord Bullington had not been whipped for his entire life, then maybe he'd be a cool guy who yeah he knows that recitals are for silence and maybe not put the most clippy cloppy shoes on the smallest child you can find. The one that I couldn't tell is the two soldiers that are obviously lovers. Yeah. And I couldn't uh-huh. tell if the movie is just being like queer people have existed forever. Right. Or if it's making fun of them because they didn't put a bow on it, but it does kind of seem like their voices are silly. I watched it behind the scenes. Okay. They were like, this novel is thick. There's <laughs> so many pages. <laughs> And we have got to get Barry Lyndon from point A to point B. You know, if we make them gay and then real quick, he sees that that they're gay. And like, all it was supposed to be is like, I'm going to cut out 400 pages of the novel if these two people are gay. But it, So that's not like, in the novel, but they could just be dudes talking to each other. But like, is or it okay that he stole from them because they're gay? Like, that's why I wondered if the calculus was supposed to be like, don't yeah. worry about him stealing from these guys. And there is they're no blackmail, right? Like, there's no... No. He just grabs their shit because they're distracted by being into and each other. And they seem to genuinely like yeah. have a real relationship. Well, that's it might be the only real relationship we see. And because uh-huh. the whole point of the movie is Barry's a dickhead, I don't think it's it's okay that he stole because they're gay. It's just saying he's a piece of shit. Soldiers were gay. They're so, definitely a candidate for like person that you'd want to see the movie be about yes. because it feels like that's the very moment where they're about to profess their love for each other. And yeah. then Barry's like, away I go! <laughs> Your jacket! <laughs> so I guess the answer is that if they, if he had overheard them saying, we are dirty, yeah, and we right. are getting clean as straight men, he would not have stolen from them. But like, he still could. Like, it was still there. Yeah, like, still I just, w- it's like, I, I think part of the cringe with this scene is you don't know exactly what's being expressed. Like, there's parts of it that seem very progressive and parts of it that seem very regressive. And then it's over, and you're not sure which it has been. <laughs> and also, Barry Lyndon never says whoop, 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 which is right. how you should steal things. Or right. they give a good yoink. Yeah. Yoink. So I'm in a behind the scenes here. The director's cut of this show is uh, Greg was going to win for the Biden type licking fingers, but then suggested an even better moment to talk about. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. <laughs> actor, the best acting of a performance award, Greg. Okay, uh, it's hard because I feel like the main dude, Barry Lyndon, is bad. Uh, and most of the other people like don't get enough time or they're on screen a lot and they're women and they're not speaking. Um, so I'm going to go with Frank Middlemess, who plays the original Lord Lyndon, Sir Charles Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was over the top. It was crazy. But honestly, it was the performance that I thought about the most. This, you know, they're like, he wants to step into my shoes. Yeah. And then suddenly... He's like sneezing and then he's coughing and then he's clearly dying like right at that very moment. Uh, And it was like a little tour de force 
three minutes. And so I'm <laughs> you going to give me with three minutes. Guy. I'll chew every bit of scenery and what ample flourished scenery it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, man, not to be cute. Like, I do think that it is actually Michael Horndom. I do think that he is the person who destroys this movie. And who is that? That is the narrator. Oh, like, yeah. That is the person who, like, really sort of structures the movie and lets you know exactly what you're supposed to be thinking at, at every single point. I think I didn't consider that guy because he's just a voice and not a face. Yeah. That's still an actor, Greg. That's still right. That's I know still, it that's is. the that's real that's guy real telling person. us this story. And also, like for the booties at the end of this year, like I think that he could win Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, like I think that he was that good. I mean, yeah, that that's it's going to Ryan. It, it, there it is. Directors can't argue with that, Mike. Good, good call. When you're right. You're right. I'm not giving you a point for that, Greg. Director's right, signature. You know good idea. <laughs> well, maybe that. Got to nip that in the bud. Director's signature moment, Ryan. Um. So there's a lot, right? Because this is Kubrick. But I have to. I, I think that I have to go with uh, when the movie is uh, bump, 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 classic music is going, that the camera is all on rails. But when it's like, oh, what? What are men going to be men? And he takes the camera off the rails. It just goes full steady cam. Marching or in fist fighting. love it. And so I think the first time I noticed it was uh, a part in the war where just like, he's just like a three foot tall person, just like walking in with the soldiers and it's on steady cam and it is chaos. And then there's uh, the fight where uh, uh, Barry Lyndon and the big guy is like, uh, we're going to fight. But yeah. I, I, the most important part is uh, I think uh, where the wife is, has taken enough pills to not die. <laughs> Yeah, but, like the kind of suicide attempt. Yeah. Oh, and that doesn't feel like the way to screaming. do it. And he definitely took the camera off the rails and is just filming the entire bedroom like this while she flails around. And there's a couple of other scenes um, where it goes like that, where uh, where George, my favorite accountant, is walking into Barry Lyndon's amputated room. I think it's that like, we first. have the POV thing. And then like it follows George sitting down and being like out of breath. But ultimately, I I... I love how we are all classically filming movies like this until man happens. And then it just comes off the rails. And I think that is the most Kubrickian thing of this movie. All right, Greg. I think the definitely the, the most emblematic part of this movie is the fact that so many of the shots look like paintings. Mm-hmm. And the best this has ever realized is when his stepson comes to challenge him at the club, even the stepson just walking through the club, each one of those shots is a moving painting. But when he gets to the Barry Lyndon in repose, like the the guys playing cards and, and Barry Lyndon's there, if this were made today, I would think they use computers to like treat the film so that it actually looked more like a painting. Right. It is amazing how this looks like a Vermeer painting in so many ways. And it is the most arresting shot in the entire movie. And I think it's like the perfect realization of his vision, which is this is going to be a motion picture, which I like to say is a joke a lot, but like this is going to be a moving uh, painting for most of it. And it really all comes together and is all perfectly realized in that one scene. I think he even plays with it a little bit by having the kid have to tap the cane to Mm -hmm. wake him up. Like it's so hard to jar the scene into motion. That's what I'm going with. 
Greg. Not just because the motion picture is a moving picture, but Greg chose one moment versus Ryan's like, I don't know, here's like eight things that happen throughout the movie. That's not how we like to play here at Movie of the Year when hosted by Mike. That's very Barry Lyndon specific. Like, that's only in Barry Lyndon where... Hmm. Greg. I love arguing, It it, it doesn't matter. You're so... To recap again, your character you wish the protagonist is the Chevalier. Your white male privilegious moment is King George saying, good, go raise another army and maybe go fucking die with them. Your cringe is Lord Barrington's line reading getting whipped. Your actor is the narrator and your director's signature moment of the movie is that sweet painting in the orgy house. We are going to take our last break and we come back. We're going to find out who won this goddamn shot. Gentlemen, what a lovely time I've had with you both and with you, the listener, most of all. I know it's the first movie in the season, but how do we think Barry Lyndon is going to stack up at the end? I loved it. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad we got to talk about it. It It's really good. Uh, I I just don't think it has what it takes to take down some of the heavy hitters. There's so many, it's almost like a horse race. There's so many different movies that are going to try it in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are artsier movies. I think there are blockbustier movies. Uh, I think there are more thought provoking movies. And so I think each movie is going to do something that it does better. I want to talk to the two of you about one floor with Cougar's nest. I like, it's just so like, that's what a movie is supposed to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that versus Barry Lyndon, I'm really interested in. I don't know. I, I think it's going to get destroyed, honestly. But I do think it belonged in the Elite Eight. Yes. Sure. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm so glad we did a show about it. I just, it, it's like, we would have had to be a little bit more moved. There's going to be a movie mm-hmm. this year that like just really fucks us up. At least one. Well, that's... And- that's, Kubrick has like the, the the reputation for being like a cold director who makes cold movies. And so cold movies don't typically move one. So... But That's we interesting. have, but we have, it. yeah. It's crazy, and it's it, and this feels less cold than some of his, his other movies. You know, it feels like it's about passion, and it feels like it's about humanity, and it feels mm-hmm. like it's about like like those like reality and but, color and like overt like exerted passion. Like, if I'm not passionate about this character, I am about this painting right. that I'm trying to recreate. And you're like, you know what? I'm passionate about that painting, too. Holy fuck. I, now I love Barry Lyndon. And it know? is really interesting to see how, as a period piece, it still seems like a huge portrayal of 1975. Like yeah. that's that, I was impressed with how 1975 it seemed. And that's obviously one of our major criteria. That is. We do like to bring that up. From time to time. <laughs> <laughs> we do like to say that that's something we do. <laughs> but honestly, that's like Dog Day Afternoon or mm-hmm. Jaws. The 1975 of those movies, I think, is going to set them kind of above and beyond. Well, Greg, let's not get ridiculous. There's no way we're talking about Dog Day Afternoon. Jaws Day Afternoon. (laughs) Jaws Day Afternoon. Do you have recommendations, Greg? I do have recommendations. Yeah, so uh, I really like this movie, but it reminded me of how when we do period pieces now, I feel like there's been a modern trend to remember that the people don't actually speak like they're in novels. And I'm not saying this is a slight against Barry Lyndon because the lines were awesome. But uh, I do think that something like Pride and Prejudice, I think 2015's Pride and Prejudice, that like shows people 
as folks and as even if they're back in the day, they're still sweaty and, mm-hmm. and they've got hairy pits and everything. I feel I felt like there was a little bit of that life missing from this because it wants to be a painting instead of life. And I, I thought of that because I wanted to see a little bit more of just folks dancing and, and maybe like a little bit of what the John Quinn dancing in the beginning. Like I like that dance scene because it just felt like you were actually looking at something people would do back in the day. And you got to think of the human way in which they did it. Mm-hmm. Wait. So what were you recommending? Pride and prejudice, oh, okay. the 2015 <laughs> Kira Knightley pride and prejudice, gotcha. which like is like, imagine that story, but not with like these prim stiff characters, um, but right, more them. like the, the living people that you probably did, you know, exist at some point. Yeah. Gotcha. Ryan, what do you recommend? I was watching this movie, and I what I would recommend is Tristram Shandy, colon, A Cock and Bull Story. If this movie was made today, I do think that it would star Steve Coogan. And as much as I love him, that's a little too on the nose, right? Uh-huh. Like I do think that like you have to ask Ryan O'Neill to act like Steve Coogan and not just cast Steve Coogan. Like but Ben McKenzie type. We do have both. In a Tristram Shandy, uh, the Steve Kukin movie, where he is, this is a movie about what it's like to make a movie like Barry Lyndon, but also like what it's like. Like, there's a lot of time where he's on the set being like, this is fucking bullshit. Uh, Tristram I, Shandy is a, a very meta novel. And so the adaptation of the movie is a very meta, meta movie, meta right? Movie. Yeah, yeah, like the awesome. extra layers of meta on top of that. But like, you do feel like you're in good hands because Steve Kukin read the novel and he's like, all right, we're going to do this movie, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's really difficult, but so, uh, I think Barely did was too. I think that like Kubrick and O'Neill did something that was very hard. Yeah, it's interesting. That's that a good suggestion because that's like a different take on the same thing, which is like, how the hell do you take this huge novel and mm-hmm. turn it into a movie? And they just kind of came at it from different angles. And in the movie of Tristram Shandy, uh, there's people who are like, why would you do this? Yeah, it's like it's one of the best novels of all time. Yeah, like this is like a fifteen hundred page novel that is like already meta, and you're gonna right. meta this meta. How would you do this? And as Steve Coogan, who always has an answer for every question, it's like I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, come on, get away from me. Perhaps future Hall of Famer Coog. I would oh, say I think that. should I be in the Hall. We, we've low key loved him. Say. It's crazy how often he comes up. In conversation yeah. without going but for that. We, we we get the whole like Ryan O'Neill is in pre-costume or like pre-time costume, but also he's also like a normal person yeah. wearing that costume. So with Steve Coogan, we get that whole thing of like, I'm in these this costume acting like a person from 300 years ago. Also, I'm a person <laughs> from today wearing this costume. This fucking sucks. Uh my recommendation is not an adaptation as such, but is a Modern take on a period piece, is, and I don't think enough people talked about it, is The Great. Uh, Hulu's The Great. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, made by one of the team of The Favorite. But The Favorite, enough people have seen that. That doesn't need more play. So if it's it's folks being folks in the olden times, a funny take on a period piece, uh, enough wackiness ensuing. While also and being including like, being pretty. just like so cruel yeah. and like not feeling bad about it. <laughs> and, and, and waivers with, with Emperor Peter be like, uh, I kind of liked him in that scene. Oh no, he's a dog shit person. Like it, it definitely plays yeah. with with that yo-yos the way they but he's, do. He's evil, Barry. but he's very charming and very sexual. But he's bad. Yes, but he's, he's got very those funny. Eyebrows. And he's got those eyebrows. He's got, he's got 
So those are the recommendations. Here's what everybody's been waiting for. Gentlemen, I have to say I got 10 points, which as the host Mm. used to be honorable, but the host of the last show got so many points all the time that it's just worth nothing at this point. Ten so, pretty good. I would say that like I would I would try for ten. Yeah, ten is up there. I'll try to do better next time. And I apologize to both of you. Did you give yourself a point every time I said that you should give yourself a point? <laughs> yes, I did. Well then you deserve a point for that, bud, because All that's right. really good. I got eleven points. Right. Uh Greg, you I think notoriously in my past seasons I'm a low point giver. And mm-hmm. I, I took the feedback from both of you in the anonymous is supposed to be anonymous feedback and from the listeners to that I should probably give more points because things are often said. Uh, so I, I tried. Greg, you got 48 points. Whoa. That's, I think, I think, the most points anyone's ever scored. I got less points, Greg. Don't worry about it. Ryan, Fewer you got points, 45 Ryan. points. So not... It's close. It's pretty close. That means that you whipped my ass, but you lost because of all your sass. No, no, I don't. But like, it's important to talk about the fact that uh, I got fewer points than Greg. Yes, but like that's what Mike said. But what Greg said was that it's actually less, not fewer. And so I got both of that shit. <laughs> yeah. I got fucking stupid in stereo. So that was fucking awesome. And that's why, based on just these two reactions, that's why I want to hang out with Greg for the next week and not Ryan. Next week we are doing the aforementioned Dog Day afternoon. Until then, keep watching those movies.